Hello and welcome to episode two of the SAP UK Innovation X podcast. This week, we'll be taking a look at experience management, what it is and how it can help foster better relationships with employees and customers. Thanks again to our partner, the C-Suite podcast, for producing today's episode in collaboration with Innovation X. So let's get started. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and in this episode, we're focusing on the use of music within experience management. Uh, Coming up in part two of the show, I'll be chatting with Jez Groom, founder of behavioural economics consultancy Cowrie Consulting, about how music can influence customer purchasing behaviour. But to kick things off, I'm joined by Dr. Julia Jones, Chief Executive at Founding Music, and Matt Champion, Customer Innovation Director at SAP UK. Uh, Julia and Matt were due to talk at Innovation X about why music's effect on the brain can drive better experience and engagement for both customers and employees. So welcome to the show, both of you. Uh, Julia, let's come to you first, because you've spent the past 25 years studying the effects of uh, music on human behaviour. Can you first set the scene as to why music is so important in enhancing an experience? Well, we have um, only a limited number of senses that direct data to the brain so it doesn't really make sense to ignore the ears because they are they are an important route to the brain and send information and that dictates you know how we perceive the world and experience so too too often I see so much focus going into how something looks visually and you know, that, that kind of visual aspect of the experience and neglecting the acoustics and the soundscape and the sound environment. So it, it's vital that experiences are, are seen as multisensory. Yeah, and on, on the Innovation X website, your biog describes you as being on a mission to transform workplace well-being, uh, combat work-related stress, and reduce the risk of developing dementia in later life through functional use of music. How, how are you going about all that? It's tall order, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> like a challenge. Well, I, it just astounds me to be honest, that that all of the, you know, all of the neuroscience evidence and the cognitive psychology research dating back decades, which shows how the positive impact that music and sound can have on well-being. This is still not common knowledge. It's used in elite sport. Uh, It's used extensively by Hollywood to trigger our emotions. And yet it's not standard practice in workplace design, in employee wellness, employee experience. And I I just, to me, that just, it just does not make sense to to not be using this uh, music and sound as a tool. When you say it's used in elite sport, I'm I'm sure we're going to cover this anyway in in the conversation, but in any particular aspect because obviously when you see just as an example I'm a big football fan you watch the players coming off the coach into the dressing rooms they've all got their their headphones on are they in the zone at that point listening to particular types of music yeah so I, in the early 90s I started off as a sports psychologist working with the GB Olympic squads leading up to Sydney 2000 Olympic Games and it's you know it's a part of the training mix 
it really is. And and throughout the, the years of training leading up to the Olympics, it's right. You know, when do you listen to certain types of music? What types of music to, do you use for, for different things, whether it's to reduce anxiety or to maintain motivation or to to maintain um, peak performance through endurance exercise in training. It's very specific, you know, it's, it's prescribed for the athletes and the athlete uses it religiously as part of their training. So when you see the players getting off the coach and it's, it's not, you know, they're not just tuning into the local radio station. It's, they, they will be listening to specific playlists that have been embedded as part of their training program interesting uh, matt let's bring you in at, at this point because i know that julia has been working with sap uk on your own music in the workplace program tell us a little bit about what's happening there yeah it's exciting actually i, I work in innovation so i'm always trying to look at how we can help our customers our employees our partners everybody that we work with think differently be more in a creative zone and also part of my work is around mindfulness and, and helping people to be you know very present in in their work and music for me is as Julia said it's something that often isn't consciously thought of it's not necessarily always at the forefront of how we think about designing experiences or or even things like bringing it into meetings or workshops it's not it's not always at the front of people's minds. And I did some work a little while ago on story and how we create more engaging experiences for people um, and how we sort of tap more into that emotional side of the brain. And that went really well. And then we started to look at how music could be a part of that as well. It seemed like a natural evolution into music. And uh, luckily I was introduced to Julia uh, and we met and we started talking about the work that Julia's done in all those different areas. And, and we started to explore how could we pilot together something in the workplace that would actually help customers, employees, anyone entering our workplace, really. Um, Julia's book was a, a really big inspiration, actually, on my thinking there. So it kind of broadened and opened my mind to all aspects of how music can help you know in in healthcare in society in schools and yeah we you, you can imagine we've had lots and lots of deep conversations on all, all facets of, of julia's work um but in the workplace in particular for me it's important that we are experimenting and incubating with programs like this because as you probably know sap's purpose is to help the world run better and improve people's lives. And I'm actually really proud to say those words because in programs and initiatives like this, we're actually bringing that to life. And so I think it's really important that we provide initiatives like this in the workplace that actually help our employees, help to improve our employee experience, but at the same time also looking at how we improve our customer experience as well. So really, that's what the pilot last year was was about. Um, we did it during one of our busiest times, quarter four, and we experimented with providing employees with guitar lessons, going from zero to hero in just sort of seven or eight weeks, um, and also sing-alongs as well, so that we could actually bring people together, sing together during a lunch break, 
and uh, you know it proved to be extremely popular. The the feedback was just incredible. A lot of people reporting that it was an amazing experience, but also it gave them just a break in the day out of their stressful day. It just gave them a release, and and that was really lovely to hear that. So um, yeah, it, it's really important for us to be walking the walk, talking the talk, and actually doing these kinds of things. And we also started to experiment in customer experience as well. So we started to look at how can we bring music into our customer experiences? So how can we actually use music in workshops to create mood, to engage people? And then also how can we use it in our customer experience center? So how do we actually uh, use background music and also consciously use music in in experiences as well? So uh, it's been really, really fascinating, really eye-opening. I, I think I envisaged that we would receive positive feedback, but we had to get something started and we had to show that, you know, that this was a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, and I, yeah, really believe it is. SAP have really taken this to a much deeper level than many organisations to date because they really understand the science. And so it's been much easier to accelerate this programme through the company and the, the enhanced versions that we're looking at, at continuing to, to innovate together to expand the wellness program. Thank you, Julia. Yeah, you know, employee well-being is critical for us and employee experience as well as customer experience is crucial. But particularly at the moment, I'm focusing on employee experience and music in the workplace for us is just a pivotal program now it, it it's gone from pilot into mainstream and others around SAP are trying to understand and learn from what we've done and we want to scale it out further also I predict that you know we're, we're going to be able to use this period to to get really encourage people to go through the short courses that we're going to put up on the learning zone so they understand, you know, they have, they have a deeper understanding about why this music program is running. And I predict that when we eventually are all back in the workplace in however many months, we will have a queue of people and a waiting list for people who want to get on the, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's already is proving very engaging, but there are going to be, the, the demand is going to be significantly increased when more people understand fully why we're doing it yeah i totally agree and that's one of the reasons why obviously we're working with you at the moment to work out how we take this program fully virtual so we had a virtual element of the program before uh, but now you know needs must and what we want to do is take it fully virtual what i'm seeing in the meetings that i'm having at the moment is that people are already searching for connection and and how how do they connect more with employees so physically we were we were seeing feedback which was saying you know i'm meeting with new employees i'm meeting with people i i may not have normally met before i'm making new connections and so now i think into the now we're being pushed fully into the virtual world for me it's really important that we yeah that we really treat that very sensitively and keep providing this as a service for employees given given the current challenges that we've got. Matt the program 
all sounds like great fun, but are you measuring the actual impact on things like well-being and productivity? Yeah, we are. So we're using Qualtrics and probably some people listening to this will will know what Qualtrics is. Qualtrics is uh, SAP Qualtrics. It's an experience management and measurement platform. And we're actually using that. We used that during the pilot to monitor and evaluate people's experiences. So um, we, we wanted to understand uh, you know, what people were actually getting out of that. Uh, so yeah, we use Qualtrics to measure that. And the important thing about that is that we want to take that further. So we want to actually look at how we continue to measure employee experience. So how do we continue to get that pulse check from our employees and from our customers as well? So how do we continue to understand the impact that music's having uh, is something that's really important uh, going forward. But yeah, we've got very positive results, both quantitative and qualitative from the people that took part in the pilot. Uh, and I think it gives us a learning point actually to, to develop from and also to share with the others as well that are doing similar sort of experience projects. Uh, Julia, um, keen to, to understand, like if you can talk us through a typical program that you, that you ran with SAP. But um, before you do that, Matt, Matt mentioned your book. So um, soon as you've been very kind enough to join us online uh, to do this uh, this podcast, I'd better let you have a little plug for that. What, what's the book called? So, so the program has come out of the book. The book's called The Music Diet. And I wrote it through frustration, really, of, of you know, all of this research that exists, not being out in you know general public awareness so I um, put it all into into a book and try to make it you know more interesting than the academic read and it was a lot more successful than I thought it would be last year it got a lot of press coverage and it became obvious that it's good to have a book to try and get the word out but if you can activate that book then it helps spread that message even further. And so that's where the workplace wellbeing program sort of came from was, was bringing the book to life in, in the workplace. But now, you know, going back to talking about transforming the workplace, we, you know, I believe that people, if people understood that there are a handful of chemical reactions in the brain that are, that are very significant in terms of how we feel, how we behave, how we function, and that sound and music are immediate triggers to be able to control those, those sort of you know, neurochemical reactions and hormonal reactions. But just, just a basic awareness of that, I think, would, would help people look after their, their own mental health because most people have no idea how their brain works that they have very little knowledge of it. They don't look after their brain health because you can't see your brain. If, if we could see it, we'd pay more care, you know, but, but we tend to, to focus more care and attention on our bodies and on our faces because that's what's on show. And brain health tends to be neglected. And I think that that, and this current situation where we're all now confined I think this is actually a good opportunity because we've got everyone's attention. And so I'm keen to try and get these learning materials up online and make them really simple and and quick snippets. Because I think that this is a moment where we really could spread awareness about this, this basic, you know, 
basic neuroscience, teaching people how their brain works and then teaching people how to use music and sound, I think could have a dramatic impact when we are eventually all reunited socially. Okay, I, I just want to go back to what Matt was saying. Let's take an example where you've brought someone in who is teaching guitar to the team. How does that then lead to all the things that you were just talking about? So science underpins the program and the goal is to encourage people to look after their mental health and their brain health. And we use music as the vehicle for that. Uh, it's an engaging tool that delivers the same response. So using guitar as an example, uh, you know, we used to think that the brain didn't generate new brain cells when we were in adulthood, but the scientific evidence now shows that that is the case, you know, especially in the hippocampus, which is a, a key part of the brain for learning and memory. So guitar and learning instruments in particular are an amazing workout because they simultaneously trigger multiple regions of the brain. So, but the, the key is to not just deliver a guitar lesson. The key is to deliver a, a guitar lesson and the knowledge that people understand why they're doing the guitar lesson alongside you know yes yes you learn a skill and you end up being able to play the guitar forever which is an incredible gift but also you understand that you are giving your brain a workout which is contributing to the you know neurogenesis and the development of new pathways in the brain and and making the brain more efficient and more healthy so that's that's the key to this is the knowledge aspect not just doing the fun bit Okay, Julia, before um, we recorded this podcast, you very kindly sent me two short clips of music. Um, I'm going to play those now. One, The first one is an uplifting track. The second is, I suppose, what you would describe as more ambient. Let's have a listen to those. And, and then what would be great is for you to just explain the different effects that, that music can have on, on the brain. So Julia, just, just explain the, the differences there and, and, and what that can do to our brain. So the up-tempo um, beat, obviously, you know, you don't, you don't need to be a neuroscientist to realise that it's a lot more energetic, uh, it's a lot faster, and that in that environment, that, that would have an energising effect, an uplifting effect, even if you were just listening to it on headphones and not singing out loud to it or, or you know, experiencing it in a group, in a live setting, where, where effects would be amplified. Whereas the second clip is a clip that we use, uh, that's a piece of a soundtrack that we use and encourage people to use in open plan offices to try and focus and to try and block out distractions. So that type of sound is aimed at, at slowing the brain down and getting it to focus on one task. So it's kind of an opposite effect. One's an accelerator and one's a brake, if you want to use that sort of analogy. But so different types of sound do, do different things. 
Well, as an incentive to listen to the end of this episode, uh, Julia's very kindly agreed to let me play out the podcast with the full version of that rock track that you uh, just heard a small clip of. Uh, So make sure you hang around until the very end of the show. But um, Matt, you mentioned earlier about taking this, not just in terms of working with your employees, but also with clients as well as um, partners. How are you going to relate this to your work with them? Uh, some of some of the listeners will have heard of SEP talking about the future of business has feelings, and so you'll have seen in in some of our some of our advertising, some of our marketing that we use that strap line, and we talk a lot about the experience economy. And I really believe that we have to take these kinds of initiatives and and infuse that into making those kinds of statements a reality. So when we're working with customers, for instance, in a workshop setting, how do we use music consciously to evoke a mood or to improve creativity in those kinds of settings in a in a customer experience center? So some of our customers will come in and they'll experience our our services and our software firsthand. They may experience that in an immersive experience environment with a 360 screen. How do we make sure that the music that we use there is engaging and interesting and really appeals to the emotional brain? And then also, how do we share what we've been doing with our customers and with our partners? You know, the the program that we've been doing with Julia. So how do we actually share the knowledge and the experience of this program and and how they can do the same so yeah it's it's and, and also looking at how do we continue to make sure that our facilities are wired for sound which sounds kind of obvious but when we bring people into our spaces uh, we want to make sure that we're playing background music in our coffee shop areas in our social areas in our customer areas because that adds to the overall ambience of experience, as Julia was saying earlier on. So, yeah, from a from a client perspective, it's really taking that music to our customers, to our clients through experience, but also embedding it in in our spaces and in in our experiences so that it becomes normal and not something that's totally extraordinary. And there is no difference when, when you know, you're designing for for human brains whether they're an employee or a customer is irrelevant to the brain the brain hears sound and it processes sound and it reacts to the sound and that's why the knowledge aspect and the science is key to that because if you don't understand how the brain works it's very difficult to design a high quality experience Uh, julia just finishing off um there was a 2019 report from the World Health Organization that also recognized the significant role that music can play in well-being. That must be a great endorsement for your own research and consultancy work about you know what these effects must must have. Yeah, I mean that was a review of over 3,000 peer-reviewed research papers, so it's quite significant. And the the overall outcome was that you know the significant role that music can play in in well-being is not being recognised. And I'm actually working with the NHS and Department of Health at the moment to try and get a blanket music licence in place because it's just so complicated for hospitals to use music. 
it's so fragmented um so we're trying to make it easier and especially in dementia care where you know music is literally the magic dust when nothing else works you just sprinkle a little music over someone and they come alive again and it's actually that work with the dementia programs that has really driven my desire to educate people about brain health because we can't cure dementia it's very complicated and there's no cure on the horizon but a third of cases right now could have been prevented if people had reduced the risk factors of of brain degeneration during working life and i think that is very important fact because if we can encourage people to look after their brain through work through the, their life then they're less likely to develop neurodegenerative diseases when they're retired and that's a big big success if we can do that well, that's a good message to uh, to end on julia if, if uh, listeners want to find out more information about this where's the best place for them to go uh, the website is musicdiet.co.uk and the book, The Music Diet, is available at Amazon UK. Tremendous. Julia and Matt, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat together for the show. Thank you, Ross. Thanks. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favourite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, where we're continuing our theme of how music can enhance employee and customer experience. And to share more insights on this topic, specifically around customer purchasing behaviour, I'm now joined by Jez Groom, founder of behavioural economics consultancy, Cowrie Consulting. Uh, Jez, can you start by talking us through the theory behind the thinking because I know there's been some interesting studies carried out particularly in the retail sector. Yeah I think um, music as a sort of psychological tool it isn't used uh, particularly well and often it's kind of thinking about more about like isn't it a nice sort of ambience enhancer or a mood enhancer but there's actually quite a lot of academic studies been done by psychologists um, looking at some really interesting facets and I think there was a really really good study done in 1982 by Milliman um, and essentially what they were looking at was how background music affects the behavior of people in a supermarket um, and they were looking at sort of fast tempo uh, music but also slow tempo music to try and understand what that might do in terms of priming customers to either spend more time in the store or in the fast case actually what it what it made happen was people were more inclined to, to move through the store faster and not buy as much. And, and what they found was there was a significant difference and a positive difference for actually playing slower music in the store because it, it just calmed people down and they were more relaxed um, and they were more likely to take, I suppose, more impulsive decisions um, in, in the store at that particular time. And I think what's quite interesting was that the, the Milliman and his team essentially expressly said in the paper that this might not be true for every environment. 
Um, so this was for a particular sort of retail shopping environment. But there are other environments where we know you might want to have faster music to encourage, I suppose, faster behaviour. So that might be um, in a bar. We know that um, higher sort of BPMs can get people excited and get people to, to, to drink more. Um, but also maybe in like a, um, a fast casual dining restaurant, you know, so more like the chains that you see on the high street where they do actually want to, to table turn quickly so they can maybe do maybe two covers at every sitting. So I think that's the kind of the first one in 1982. And then there was this fascinating one. It was amazing. It was in 1999 and um, it was done in a supermarket um, in the UK. It was in, in a Birmingham supermarket. And what they did is um, they did something that the store uh, shoppers didn't know anything about. And, um, and they played, uh, one day they played French music. So you can imagine what that sounded like. This cafe French Parisian type feel. And then they started to observe some specific behaviours. Um, and those behaviours were what wine did people buy in the store that day? And it was just brilliant because what they found was that on the days that they played French music, actually French wines outsold German wines by a factor of five to one. And the, the genius of the experiment was they actually reversed it. So they then transferred the music um, to, to more German music, so more sort of unpassed, kind of more Bavarian, Austrian. And, um, <laughs> and on that day, it reversed. Not as much, to be fair. Um, so maybe French wine is still nice, but German wines outsold French wines on that day. Now, now how this works, we don't know. So um, these, pri they're called priming uh, techniques. And, um, and, and people don't know that they're actually being primed in these ways for these certain behaviours because on the, essentially the, the supermarket study in 99 by North Hargreaves and McKendrick, what they did is they, they asked people when they left the store, so why did you buy French wine today? Or why did you buy German wine today? And what they found was one in 42 people said it was due to the music. So 41 out of 42 people came up with some random post-rationalizations. And that might be, well, I prefer French wine or I really like that grape or actually one of my friends recommended it. And, and it might have been case with maybe some of those people, but for the majority of them, actually walking down the alcohol aisle with this French Parisian cafe music in the background was influencing their purchasing decisions. So, so two studies done by academics um, that I think are, are fascinating, but context specific. So I, th I think that's, that, that's quite interesting. I think there's a lot to learn about sound. I don't think we can say this sound provokes this response or primes this response all of the time. I think you've got to test um, sometimes whether it's fast or slow or whether it's a particular sort of influence and how it's influencing. Do you think enough studies are being done? Because both of those are, are quite a few years old now, those, those studies. I mean, it is interesting, I, I think, is that um, I think sometimes um, sort of behavioural science, behavioural economics is this new field of, of psychology. Um, it's starting to re-emerge. So I think um, in the past, I think quite a lot of the, I suppose the work, the work done was seen as kind of like soft psychology that didn't really, I suppose, be embraced by people within business. And uh, But we've seen this real resurgence, I think, um, of people going back to these studies and, and actually starting to, to learn more about them. So, so I think, yeah, I think we're going to see more and more of these, these studies. Um, and I know that people like me are actually looking to, to practically apply these new, these studies that may be quite old to see if actually they, they do work. Um, and, um, and I think that's the interesting sort of opportunity. I think that sometimes the academic paper may well be 10, 20 year, years old, but in a business environment, um, essentially, we can start to re recreate those experiments that are relevant to us um, to drive business success. Sure. And, and that's what we've been doing. So, you know, I think we've been doing some interesting things with music in, in some of the areas that we've been working in. 
Yeah, well, well, let's hear about those. You, there's a couple of examples you've you've got on there outside of retail that you can you can. Share. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I think there was um, there was one in particular um, that I think was fascinating was um, that we work with one of the government programs. Um, it's called the Healthy You program, um, and essentially. If you're of a certain age, sort of over 50, 60, around that sort of age normally, and you've got higher blood sugar levels, then you might be at risk uh, potentially of developing type 2 diabetes. And the government's got an amazing program. Um, and it's not mandatory, it's voluntary. You, you referred there by your GP. And the content is really good. So we work with the, the Leicester Diabetes Centre in association with one of the providers, which is a company called Ingius. And, and we looked at the content and it's really strong, you know, like the nutritional information, some of the psychology, about you know how you can I suppose estimate how much sugar's in things and, and how you might sort of do simple things to help you exercise but what we looked specifically at was essentially looking at uh, the psychology of the experience that we were creating for the attendees and um, and there wasn't much work done that at all so you imagine you go to kind of like a church hall it might be quite a nice church hall and um, you'd attend and um, you might get there a bit early some people come in by the bus and um, so you know you might be able to time it just right and you'd sit there and, and the, the nutritionist psychologist that would be doing the session hadn't been trained to create a good experience they'd been trained to deliver the, the program of, of content so you might be sitting there in silence with like nine other people uncomfortably for, for around about 15, 18 minutes. Yeah, quite an, quite an awkward situation. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, for those British listeners, we know that British people are, are the, the worst at maybe sort of offering up that conversation. I mean, to be fair, some of the some of these generations were quite old. Um, and, and, you know, you've been dealing with some 70 year old ladies. They were absolutely lovely. But for the majority, you're exactly, exactly right, Russ. It was people sitting there on the phones. It was just it wasn't great. And we know from a psychological perspective, like when you, you first uh, enter a customer experience, that anchors the rest of the experience. So you would more commonly know it as first impressions count. Um, but the, the academic language is more about primacy, like that, that first sort of primacy um, of the experience is really important. And there's no better way, I think, than introducing it with a smile, for sure, but also having some music, um, because there have been some studies, and, and again, some of these were um, maybe not as old, old as some of these ones I was talking about, but there was one done by Alper in, in 1990, and then a more recent one by Nerla, Spangenberg, Herman and Lowe at Landwehr in 2012. And what these essentially brought to life was the, the power of music to evoke emotion um, and to, I suppose, drive more positive mood. And we, and we know that music does this, but this was measured um, sort of biometrically. And specifically, they found that there were certain sort of correlations between certain types of music. So, so in the papers, they were talking about um, music that um, essentially are in a major key uh, with a tempo of lower than 72 beats per minute would have a positive effect. And we looked at the generations um, that were kind of involved. And this might be things like Bob Marley and the Whalers, Three Little Birds. It might be like Life Goes On, Noah and the Whale. Um, something more recent, Stay With Me from, from Sam Smith. But one that we knew really, really, I suppose, uh, touched everybody in these slightly older groups, which was What a Wonderful World uh, by Louis Armstrong. And you know how that music makes you feel. And if you went into a warm that was full of people that you could see were enjoying themselves, listening to the music, then the conversation starts. And, and that would be an experience that you want to come to. You go, okay, this is a nice place. Um, and as a result of that, you go, yeah, I'll go again. Um, and I think, I think that's important that sometimes these seemingly small things that often seem a little bit silly sometimes or, or maybe trivial actually 
can make the content and all of the program work so much harder and help people essentially live a, live a healthier life ultimately um, and reduce the, the risk of, of type 2 diabetes. So, so I think that's an example of some of the, some, some of the work we've done and that program's in play um, at the moment. And um, I, think, I think more recently we, um, we've done some work with uh, some uh, financial services companies, which sounds a bit crazy about how financial services companies uh, can use music. And um, we work with um, a company called Aegon. And um, what they find is that um, most people with their pension statements is they come in like a paper booklet that you get once a year. And, and it's just really hard to read. No one really understands it. They kind of look at it and go, I don't really know. It's kind of what I thought it might be, kind of. They put it to the top of the pile. They're going to read that later. And it goes gradually to the bottom of the pile. And then it gets filed, you know, in the loft, in the box of financial stuff that is important should you need it. And we need people to engage with their, with their pension. So, so Aiden came up with this amazing idea, which was, why couldn't we create a video which was personalized about your, your, your statement, if you like? So what we did is we looked at lots of different things. So it was all like um, what the style of the imagery and the illustrations might be, um, what information we would convey, how we convey it. Um, but one of the critical points that we put in there was essentially looking at the music um, and also the voiceover. And what, what we found was, again, there's some really interesting studies. Fast music can sometimes make us feel, feel that we've spent longer in a store than we actually have. So you might move through the store quicker um, and maybe not buy, but actually it might feel like you're spending, spending longer. And I think it's fair to say that not many people like to spend that long with their financial services providers. So, so we looked at some other music, which was a more slower which leads to more engagement and um, there was a paper by Caldwell and Hibbert in 1999. And, um, and they looked at slower paced music similar to what we saw i suppose in the supermarket stores and and what that does is increase this level of engagement um so it's not too distracting it's quite relaxing and that relieves us and creates us in, in a good state to, to essentially engage um and um when we did that uh, and had that lower form music it was just really really interesting in terms of the um the impact that it had um, because people would watch this sort of 90 second film and um, and after the film we then asked them to start to engage with their pension which is something that not a lot of people do and what we found was that there was double digit increases so 20 to 30 percent increases in people that were actually checking whether it was the right amount or not as in is this going to give me what I want in my retirement um, a significant proportion of people actually uh, were prompted to maybe look at the funds they're in so I don't know about, about you Russ but most people don't even know what funds they're in in their pension no. and sometimes um, actually it makes sense to be in certain types of funds at certain times of, of your life cycle so if you're younger it makes sense to be in slightly more volatile slightly higher risk funds so they've got a big opportunity for growth but as you get closer to to retirement you want to essentially consolidate that and you don't want it to go down so much because you, you want to start using it so so we saw a big sort of increase in people switching funds and then we also suggested which again is sort of common to quite a lot of the listeners is often people have got like two or three pensions they might have like an old um civil service pension and the essentially come into the private sector or they might have had three or four jobs um, and what we found was that people were actually going enjoying the video quite strangely for, for a pension video but engaging with it um, and what they were looking to do was we said well maybe now's the time for you to bring those pots together um, and bring them all into one place and again we found there were significant shifts in terms of how people uh, consolidate all of those pensions into one place so so yeah music can be very very powerful you know either essentially speeding people up if it's relevant but I think quite a lot of the studies that that we're using essentially slowing people down um, and getting people to enjoy what they're doing such that they can make more considered sort of balanced decisions that, that are in their interest. Do you think 
you know businesses put enough importance on music in in the in the overall customer experience i don't think so um i i think um uh, there's it's it's kind of kind of strange I, I think but understandable is um a lot of businesses focus on words and and i think we've just seen that with with the recent coronavirus that you know a lot of the statements that have been made by the companies to to readers users customers often tend to be this block of text in an email and i think that was relevant when the only tool we had to convey information was a typewriter but now we've kind of got word processors and then now we've got these amazing sort of tools that you know essentially can do amazing things so i think imagery is really important and i don't think there's enough imagery used but also sound um and i think we take it a step further to say it's not about just music it's about thinking about we call them soundscapes so essentially what's the soundscape you know, so people talk about landscapes, but what are the soundscapes that essentially you're creating for the experience uh, that you'd like to deliver? And, um, and that's really important. I mean, one of my favorite ones is, is what, again, what we did at Aegon and um, is at the very start of the video, we started off with some tweeting birds. And um, so essentially you came in and you heard these tweeting birds and it then took you into uh, kind of this journey. And, and the journey was lovely. It was like pictures on the wall in somebody's house. It was like, it was like illustration style. And it went from picture to picture and chunking up all the information. But at the very start, like a bird came in and tweeted. And we know that from an evolutionary psychology perspective, that tweeting birds are very, very powerful as a soundscape, that they make us feel very, very safe. And the reason is, is because if you've got tweeting birds around, we love that bird song because it's telling us at a subconscious level that there's no predators around. So there's no saber-toothed tigers or raptors or Tyrannosaurus rex that are going to come and eat us, which sounds crazy that you can take that insight and then apply it to a pension video thousands of years later and it still works. And um, so, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, not enough time, I don't think, is, is spent on the visual cues we give people. But I think very relevant to this conversation is yeah the soundscapes like why are we playing this music at this time and what behavior in it are we trying to evoke and prompt and how is that going to help us and uh, and the combination of all those those three i think when you get them right it just really really works you, you know it yourself you have some experiences and you go god that was lovely okay so obviously recording this for a podcast um so an audio medium what do you think the the importance of music is to podcasting you know I, I thought well while I've got you on here Jez I'll, I'll ask you the question get a bit of free consultancy but I, I just personally I find a lot of podcasts they have that little bit of cheesy music at the start you know and then it goes into a bit of banter and and they all start to sound the same I, I actually don't use that much music in my podcast but what, what's you know do you, do you listen to podcasts do you does do you think yeah. music has an importance you know within podcasting yeah I, I think um I, I think my previous career, I've worked in advertising and marketing media for, for over 30 years. And the language we used to use then was like a sonic tag. Yes. Yeah. Um, so essentially those, those, you know, um, those sort of four or five notes, you know, the Intel inside, you know, the McDonald's and, and, um, and, and that has been proven without doubt as a very, very powerful way to essentially uh, drive sort of saliency um, and a recall, uh, but also prime for certain behaviors and, um, and get people in that zone. So, so I think for sure, I think having some form of sonic tag at the beginning um, and end primes people to, to say, this is going to be a good experience. And that, that's assuming, you know, I've listened to your podcast, they're really good. So, so you know, so you're building on that. And um, so I think, I think that primes people to say, okay, I know now, now know what's coming, coming up next. I think one of the features I think is really interesting is, um, and, and again, is 
sometimes when you have um, ad breaks um, in podcasts um, and, um, you know, I think um, editing sort of advertising either consciously through technology or, or subconsciously by not listening, I think is something. So I think sometimes on some of the podcasts um, that, yeah, I'm not so sure the advertising messages are as strong if they're preceded with some form of sonic tag to, to, to let you know that you're going into an ad break. Mm. I think I'm not so sure that's particularly helpful. But, um, you know, I think from from your perspective, absolutely. You know, I think that the beginning of an experience and the end of the experience are really, really important. They're called primacy and recency effects and well documented. So so I think, yeah, it's essentially having something which is feels relevant to you, you know. So obviously, you know, it couldn't be childlike. It couldn't be too playful because, you know, we're talking about things to do with business but certainly yeah I think it would prime to, to say okay I'm now ready for the C-suite podcast I've really enjoyed this before I'm going to enjoy this one again and, and it sets you up for a good experience. Interesting I have to do a little bit of research now on, on the on the right the <laughs> right piece of audio. Um, Indeed. Jez like our previous guest on on this episode Julia um, you also have a book out that covers uh, some of what we've been talking about although I think it uh, goes into a little bit more detail on some other things do you want to give that a quick plug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we, um, um, those people that are interested in behavioural science, but but broader people in business looking for for insights, um, we've written a book which is very, very easy to read. I mean, that's one of the downsides I think about behavioural scientists like like myself is they often write these books which are really, really hard to read. And um, so this isn't one of those. It's very, very practical. It's very accessible. Very, very usable. And it tells a story in each chapter, and then it builds your knowledge and, and application of this type of stuff. And it's packed full of insights. Um, you know, people people are loving it so far. Of course, some of those early people are our friends and family, so of course they're going to like it. And um, but you know, as it starts to have have broader reach, um, we're seeing that yeah, people people really enjoy it. So yeah, it's called Ripple, um, and it's all about the big effects of small behavior changes in business. And yeah, it's available on Amazon and all good bookstores. Fantastic. Jez, thank you very much uh, for that. Good luck with the book and uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this second episode for SAP UK. So thanks once again to all three of my guests for joining me online to record their interviews. Uh, That's Dr. Julia Jones, Matt Champion, and of course, Jez Groom just now. Uh, Don't forget, we've got Julia's track to play us out in a second. But before we get to that, my usual housekeeping, uh, just a quick thank you to the team at SAP UK for helping us to coordinate these interviews. Uh, If you want to hear more interesting stories from the world of IT and business, then please do check out SAP UK's new Innovation X podcast series, which is available on SAP UK and Ireland channels. Uh, Plus, you can follow them on Twitter for their latest news and updates, which is at SAP UK Ireland. We have another episode related to Innovation X coming soon on the topic of productivity. Um, And don't forget, our previous episode on the topic of sustainable business is already on the feed. So do go back and have a listen to that one if you haven't done so already. Now, as promised, to play us out, Here is Dr. Rock with Says Who. Thanks for listening and goodbye.